The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield at the American Sheep Industries Annual Convention in San Antonio, Texas. So when we talk weather, I can tell you I've seen it firsthand, and we'll dive more into that in just a moment. Mike Zuzalo is joining us, Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, uh, let's talk weather first and off. You've got some fresh news when it comes to Argentina and what's being seen for the producers there. Yeah, I think we've got an interesting dynamic starting to brew here, Susan, as we close out the month of January, and we have a situation where the trade has got two weather situations on the front burner now. They they were way off the radar screen a couple months back. They steadily garnered more and more attention. Um, the one on the hottest burner right now is clearly Argentina, and I think this is where it makes sense that the trade is looking at that even more than our own U.S. winter wheat belt uh, in the hard red winter wheat belt in particular because I think we are actually seeing damage being done to the Argentine corn and bean yields at this point. And, in fact, we've got fresh uh, newswire stories coming out and the agriculture ministry being interviewed by a newswire uh, talking specifically about the loss of corn uh, in particular in the Pampas Farm Belt, that major Buenos Aires, Entre Rios, and uh, in, in key areas of the Argentine Corn Belt, uh, now seeing, uh, in, in their opinion, declines that cannot be reversed. And within another 10 days, if trends don't turn in terms of a wetter forecast coming, uh, more and additional re, uh, irreversible uh, problems and damage being done in the corn as well. And to give you some mo- numbers, uh, you know, back in 2015-2016, uh, the USDA came out with an Argentine corn crop of about 29.5 million tons. The next year we did 41 million tons, and this current crop the USDA came out with in January was 42 million tons. I think we're probably going to be closer to the 35 and a half to 37 and a half number as far as production at this stage. So I'm assuming at this stage and telling clients we're going to lose about 10 to 15 percent of the Argentine crop at this stage of the game. That would take the world ending stocks below 200 million metric tons. And if that would happen, then we could start looking at some past prices where Argentine corn uh, rallied at their port from about $170 a ton up to about $190 a ton. That was back in January of 2017, so almost exactly a year ago, we hit that $190 level, and we're trading at about 170 right now. So that would be about a 380 lead month corn futures price. That actually makes a lot of sense on some weekly and monthly chart technicals. And so this is kind of the, the number that I'm starting to push out to the clients and subscribers, that these are our target prices unless something drastically changes and the weather turns much wetter and much cooler in Argentina. You know, and then you got the flip side of it, where Brazil is getting ready to harvest, and the, somebody's turned the faucet on, and these rains aren't stopping. 
Yes, and this is the back burner weather scenario that's probably going to move to the front burner in about two weeks would be my guess because you're exactly right. In center west Brazil, the first crop beans are needing to get harvested. We've got slight delays that could turn to significant delays, especially in Mato Grosso. I was looking at the European model uh, this morning. We get two updates in a 24-hour period for the European model, whereas we get four uh, from the GFS, but the latest model update from the European, which is a, a drier model typically, is, is running six to nine inches of rainfall from Mato Grosso, Brazil. And so in a couple weeks, if we're dealing with rainfall uh, totals like that and we're trying to still get beans out, you're right in the middle of that safrina, that second crop corn planting in center west Brazil, which happens to be, it, it's kind of a minimum nowadays, it happens to be about two-thirds of the total Brazilian crops. So now all of a sudden you have a scenario where you've got both the Argentine corn market and the Brazilian corn market pulling the U.S. corn market higher at the Gulf. And it shouldn't be a surprise right now that the Memphis price of corn and some of the other major river areas and even the Amarillo, Texas area, not far from where you're at. Uh, I know Texas is a big state, but anyway, Amarillo, Texas, we're dealing with six to seven month highs in the cash corn price right now. And those prices could get even more elevated if we have this kind of double barrel weather effect of too dry and too wet in, uh, too dry in Argentina, too wet in Brazil, and no Goldilocks to be found. You know, and it is absolutely crazy. As I flew down here earlier this week, I, I obviously I flew in daylight, which was a benefit because we've heard so much talk about how dry with these drought monitors. Um, Eric Snodgrass with the University of Illinois was talking, you know, we've got the dryness in Oklahoma, the dryness in Texas, and you definitely can see it. You can see it from the air, so you know if you can view it from the air, it's definitely dry on the ground. Yes, and we've got this going all the way up to northern Illinois. I was talking to a very good client in Bloomington, Illinois, where there's a substantial reservoir outside the city that feeds essentially the the lake, uh, Bloomington Lake, and also the water supply in that area. And it is at a critical level at this point in time going into February. And this kind of goes back and matches up with probably why the U.S. weather is just now starting to garner attention. There was a potential for a pattern shift in the middle part of the country for a wetter uh, pattern, a, a warm-up and a wetter thunderstorm-type activity right around the 20th, 21st of this current month of January. That really fizzled out. It did not replenish and recharge hardly any reservoirs. A lot of areas like here in Atchison got missed and on west and on south towards where you're at currently got missed. And now we're looking by a lot of the private meteorologists at another 20 to 30 day window of mostly below normal temperatures and mostly below normal precip. And if we do go into that scenario the next 20 to 30 days, I can tell you by being on the phone with one of my good crop insurance colleagues here in the area that the winter kill issues are starting to roll in. Stick around, folks. We've got more of the Fontenelle Final Bell coming up. We're going to dive more into this wheat market in a moment. You're listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As Mike Zuzalo is joining us this afternoon. And, Mike, before we went to break, we were kind of diving deep into this winter wheat market. And you did talk about, you know, the thoughts and the concerns. We've got Texas. We've got Oklahoma. Areas of southwest Kansas as well that are so dry that... Winter wheat options might not be there once this crop fully comes out of dormancy. So there's so much talk out there already about, 
Are we going to have more bean acres versus corn acres? Have folks really factored in the winter wheat side of it affecting this play on corn versus beans? Yeah, and I think that's a great point. I think we've been more focused upon the idea of losing uh, to the beans in terms of the corn and, and not really thinking about the wheat at all. And in fact, probably thinking even less about lower harvested acres in the wheat and a lower yield base in the wheat as well, Susan. When you look at Oklahoma at 79%, very poor and poor on their wheat conditions, and that being 60, what, 60 some, 62% worse than what it was a year ago at this time. And then Kansas at 44%, very poor and poor combined being 22% worse than it was a year ago. I think you have to start dialing in a yield level that is not going to be in, on track with the last five years unless, again, we have a substantial shift in the next 30 days for the, the weather pattern. But if we continue with a warmer, drier pattern or a cooler, drier pattern, which is more likely uh, in this next 30-day window, I think you have to start thinking about a lower harvested acreage base, a lower yield number, to the point where we, instead of dealing with a billion bushel U.S. carryover or even 900 million bushel U.S. carryover, I think we could actually trim it back towards the low 800s, if not just below an 800 million bushel carryover. And the spreads have started to suggest that already. We've got the wheat corn spread, just got done making a fresh uh, four-month high, hitting 90, 95 cents premium to lead month corn. And so we've completely taken the wheat out as a feed grain and competitive with the corn at this stage. And so we do have some of the spread traders starting to dial this in. One, one other thing I'll mention about the winter wheat is don't look for the spread to go away very quickly, I don't think, because that same crop report that showed the conditions update by USDA earlier this week also showed quite a bit of an improvement in states like uh, North Dakota and South Dakota in terms of where we were last month and a couple months ago. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the spring wheat be the short side of the spread or the soft red wheat be the short side of the spread if we would start to see more rains in Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. I think this is one of the things that has become kind of one of the tricks that the trade has played. Uh, in the markets here the last three or four years of this heavy, heavy spread trading. You know, and here at the American Sheep Industry, they're talking um, during this convention, obviously lambing's underway, calving is underway, but they're talking, especially the guys from down south, about getting ready to start spring planting. So it's a, it's a kind of a reshape focus. We jump from South America to the U.S. Yeah, and this is where you have a very key area where you're at right now that is looking at a lot more cotton acres. I don't know if you've heard that, but I've certainly yep. heard that from some key people that are in the seed industry that Texas is going to see a lot more cotton, Oklahoma is going to see a lot more cotton, and then you start talking about Mississippi and uh, Arkansas in those Delta states that will start to be wanting to plant here in the next 30 days as well in what kind of acreage base they have here in those areas and I think again I guess when I look take a step back we we feel pretty confident at this stage uh, in, in, in the analysis that I do that the corn is losing supply uh, out of South America and that the U.S. is rising in terms of competitiveness because we have such a burdensome oversupply domestically the wheat we're not quite sure about because of the Russians and I think the soybeans right now, the trade is sitting in a mindset that we may lose three to four million tons in Argentina, but unless something big happens in Brazil, 
you've probably got three or four million tons of production potential the USDA hasn't counted on yet in Brazil to offset that Argentine shortfall. So when you throw that into the mix of the acreage base, you look at cotton, you look at soybeans, that's probably the two favored uh, types of crops to plant here in the United States in these far southern reaches, that early crop. I think it makes it more difficult for the beans to rally later on if we do indeed increase our acreage base here in the early part of the spring in the Delta and Texas and then the, the heartland of the corn and bean belt if we get the right price in the November beans in February. So I think that's something producers really need to keep in mind and, and think more medium term and long term. Quickly, I know we've only got about 35, 40 seconds left. Let's look at the cattle quickly. They definitely saw some pressure in the trade today. Yeah, they did. But I think we just got the new biannual numbers out of January 1. Total cattle and calves came in at 94.4 million head. That's about a half million head less than the trade, 400,000 head less than the trade was expecting. That's a supportive number. I would continue to watch the fat cattle try and hold up, but the feeders continue to try and pull them down. Best way to reach you, Mike? Best way to reach me is toll-free, 866-471-2588, or go to my website, sign up for a trial, two weeks free, because you're listening to Real Radio Network, uh, globalanalytics.biz. And that's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network.